I remember my first hockey game that I ever went to. I was just a little kid, and this was at a college in northern Michigan. And they were playing another college from Canada. And I don't know if any of you know this area of the world at all, but this is a place where hockey really matters, especially a U.S. versus Canada game. And I remember in my young, naive life, I was a little scandalized by all the stuff that was happening in the stands. The arena was packed, and people were ruckus and noisy and angry when things went wrong with the refs, especially. There was cussing going on. And I was like, whoa, where am I? And then at the end of the game, something happened that I'll probably never forget. The one player was skating down the ice right as the clock was getting down to zero. And right before it went to zero, he scored a goal. And the goalie made a mistake. Otherwise, he would have stopped it. And the crowd went wild, and I heard this chant breaking out in one area of the arena, and the people were literally pointing their fingers at the goalie and yelling, it's all your fault, it's all your fault, and the whole arena in unison was chanting that at the goalie. Any of you been to a hockey game? You know, this is like normal. Somebody this morning was like, yeah, that happens at all the college games. What? This poor guy. You know, the Bible says that original sin is a little bit like that. One man's mistake ruins things for everybody else. Adam, in the garden, fell into temptation. He fell to sin. And just like that goalie apparently ruined it for everybody in the arena, Adam has ruined it for all of us. But the metaphor actually doesn't really suffice. It's more like what Adam did with original sin. It's worse than a goalie missing his opportunity. It's more like Adam and Eve in their sin infected the population with a virus that started spreading and spreading with seemingly no vaccine, no cure, no answer to how it might be solved. We know a little bit what that might look like now when we watch the news, don't we? Adam and Eve sinned, and because they were our first parents, they broke something inside their inner man and woman, their inner core, so fundamentally that it altered their DNA, so to speak, their spiritual and physical DNA, that everybody who was ever born after them would be infected with the same problem. That's original sin, as the Bible describes it. And we go searching for a cure, frantically, But we know from the gospel that there is a cure to the problem of sin. But it comes in a surprising way. So let's read about it to find out how this all works. Let's begin with verse 12. This is Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin... And so death spread, picture that virus spreading, this thing called sin and death spread to all men because all sinned. So what is sin? Sin basically is our inability to keep the perfect law of God. God says, love me with your whole heart, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you follow these commandments you perfectly, you are sinless. But what Adam and Eve did in falling to the temptation is they, they broke that ability in us to follow God's law perfectly. In fact, Adam only had 
one law. Adam had one rule. Do you know what it was? You can eat of all the trees in the whole garden, but there's one tree you may not eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God gave Adam one rule, and he broke it. Sometimes I just want to say to Adam, you had one job. <laughs> or I want to say, it's all your fault. It's all your fault. So Adam fell to the temptation that the serpent came and introduced to him. And that fundamentally broke, it fundamentally altered something in all of us. And now all of us are unable to perfectly follow God's law. Even our greatest philosophers know this about the human condition. There's a philosopher from the 18th century named Immanuel Kant, and he said it this way. He said, out of the crooked timber of humanity, no straight thing was ever made. Out of the crooked, see the image that this philosopher wants to put in our minds, crooked timber, it's like a, a piece of wood that's crooked and we're trying to make something straight out of it. He says, that's what human beings are like. We're like crooked timber. We're trying to do things perfectly, but we just can't. Out of the crooked timber of humanity, no straight thing was ever made. You know, Pastor David and I, last week, we were chopping firewood in my yard. He really wanted you all to know that he was helping me because he wants to appear manly. Um, I was doing most of the work, obviously, but David was assisting me. And we were chopping this firewood. <laughs> It's funny because they all have seen your biceps and they've seen mine. They know I'm joking. Um, so we're chopping firewood and we were talking as we always do about theology and about the Bible and about, I, we were trying to figure out how I'm going to preach Romans chapter five. And I mentioned this Immanuel Kant quote. And at one point, David reached down into the firewood pile and he pulled out this, this piece of wood right here. I have a bigger picture of it behind me. Maybe you can see it. And he said, well, here's your sermon illustration. He said, imagine trying to make something straight out of wood like this. It's not a very flattering picture, but brothers and sisters, according to the Bible, this is what our inner man and inner woman really looks like because sin has broken us to our core. We might look good on the outside, but God knows all the inner places of our hearts. This tree, when it was growing in the yard next to the church, looked pretty good from the outside. We can dress up our lives pretty well, but on the inside, we're all crooked timber. We're all stained by sin. It's not very pleasant to admit that. But according to the Bible, it's true. We have inherited original sin from Adam and Eve. Now, when people realize that about themselves, it's like a new level of understanding. It's easy, isn't it, to, to say the world is broken or all those people out there have something wrong with them, crooked timber of humanity. It's harder to say, I am that way as well. But when we do realize this, when the spiritual awakening comes and we realize we're sinners, we often have a scramble, a search, a hunt for the remedy for the cure, for the vaccine, if you will? How do we get the fix from what's broken in us? And I think I see people scrambling for this solution in basically one of two ways. The first way I'll categorize as the, the progressive way. You hear this a lot in modern pop culture where people say things like, you're perfect just the way you are. Don't let those religious people 
tell you there's something wrong with you. No, no, no. No. Speak your inner voice. Be who you are, no matter how strange that is, no matter how weird it might look to the world. Maybe you've heard this phrase. I heard it again at the Oscars recently. These very impassioned celebrities get up to the microphone and they say, speak your truth. You've heard that, haven't you? Speak your truth. Never mind if your truth and my truth don't agree. Now we have a conflict. But they say, speak your truth. Listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. Let your heart decide. But do you know what the Bible says about your heart? The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things. In other words, the Bible says the first thing you should know about your heart, if you're going to be listening to it, the first thing you should know about your heart is that it's going to lie to you. It's going to lie to you. Your heart is crooked timber. Nothing straight can come out of it apart from Christ. So that's not the cure. Listen to your inner voice. Find your inner self. Speak your truth. No, that, the progressive way isn't the solution, is it? The second category that I see people really using in this search, this desperate hunt for the cure for original sin, is what I would call the legalistic approach. The legalistic approach, meaning, well, I know. I realize I'm a sinner, but I know how I can overcome this problem. I'll just, I'll just get it right. I'll just follow God's law. I'll just do all the things I'm supposed to do on time before anyone else does it with a smile. This was basically my attempt for the first 25 years of my life. I'll just be a Boy Scout for Jesus. And you know how I come, came across? That's called self-righteousness. And the Bible says if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. Because even all my best attempts at righteousness, you know what the Bible says about that, don't you? If you added up all the righteous deeds you've ever done on your own, the value of all of your righteous deeds would be about the same as a pile of filthy rags. So legalism isn't going to be your solution to this sin problem. None of us can be obedient to the law. In fact, you know what it said right here in our verse, in, uh, in our scripture in verse 20 about the law? It says the law, God's law, came to increase the trespass. What does that mean? The law came to increase the trespass. It doesn't make sense, does it? Think of it this way. You're walking along a beautiful sidewalk next to some beautiful green grass, and it looks so lovely, and you're just walking on the sidewalk, but you suddenly see this sign that says, do not walk on the grass. What's your next thought? Well, maybe I kind of want to walk on the grass. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? The law, the rule, don't walk on the grass, brings out something in us that makes us want to break the law. You know this feeling, don't you? Yeah, the law came to increase the trespass. The law exposes just how sinful we are. So progressivism doesn't work. Legalism doesn't work because we can't follow God's law perfectly. No, we will need a cure for this sin problem that we have, not from inside ourselves, crooked timbers as we are. We will need a cure from outside ourselves. We need somebody who can come into the picture and have perfect obedience to God's law for us Amen. as our representative. That's what it says here. Look with me at verse 19. Look what it says about Jesus. For as by the one man's disobedience, that's Adam, the many were made sinners, that's us, 
So, by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Jesus is the new Adam, see? Adam had one rule, and then the tempter came in and said, yeah, but, and Adam fell. He failed the test. But Jesus came along as the new Adam. Uh, Adam was... Humanity 1.0, Jesus came in and said, let's try this again. Humanity 2.0. And Jesus came in as our representative, the only sinless one, the only one who's not crooked timber. And he faced temptation as well. He went out into the wilderness and for 40 days he fasted and he was hungry and he was thirsty. And the same devil who came and tempted Adam came and tempted Jesus. But where Adam failed the test, Jesus passed the test. Jesus, our new Adam. Now, this is good news. Some of you are saying amen, but some others of you might be wondering, how does this actually apply to me? Adam broke me, but how did Jesus fix me with his obedience? And here's the good news, you guys. This is what I've been so eager all week to share with you. On the cross, this amazing thing happened where this exchange took place, where Jesus took upon himself, he absorbed into his body all of the sin and all of the consequences of sin and all the shame and all the guilt and all the regret and all the crooked timber from you and from me and from everyone else in the whole world. He took that all upon himself on the cross so that when the Father looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw your crooked timber and mine. And then now when God the Father looks at us, what does he see? The perfect righteousness of his son. That's the exchange that happens on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says it this way. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, who was sinless, was judged for our sin. And we who are sinful are judged for Jesus' perfect obedience, his righteousness. That's the great exchange. That's the cure. Isn't that awesome? Hallelujah. We are not viewed as we ought to be viewed. He took our place and gave us his. We we get the reward that he earned. Now, It's possible some of you are like grasping this message of the gospel for the very first time and maybe you're wondering, it's that simple? But shouldn't I be able to do something? Adam broke me, Jesus fixed me, these two other men have, there's like this arena of of action that's outside of me and I'm just the recipient of it. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's called a free gift as it says in verse 15 of our scripture tonight. It says this, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. It's a free gift. That's why the Bible calls it grace. You didn't earn it. Look with me at verse 20 to hear even more about this amazing truth. 
says this, the law came to increase the trespass. We already talked about that. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You know what this is saying here? This is saying, as much as you love sinning, God loves forgiving you even more than that. Oh, man. As much as we love sinning, and if we're really honest, there's something in us that's drawn to sin. There's something in us that says, we vow to ourselves, I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to fall to that temptation. I know it's bad for me. I'm not going to do it. And then the temptation comes and we fall into it because our hearts are so crooked, they, they, they actually desire the sin. But what this is saying here is that as much as we love sinning, God loves forgiving us all the more. His grace abounds when the sin increases. His grace abounds even more. And then he gets even better in verse 21, the following verse. It says this, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, when you hear this message about God loves forgiving you even more than you love sinning, if your next thought is, well, then I'm just going to go on sinning even more because he'll just forgive me for it all. If that's your next thought, go home and read Romans chapter 6 because it deals with that. <laughs> but, but also, like, be encouraged because if that is what you thought, you're beginning to grasp the gospel, Okay. <laughs> But look at verse 21 about this word reigning. Isn't this interesting? Sin reigned in death. Grace grace might also reign in righteousness. That word reign is not one that we use very often in our culture because we're Americans. You know, we don't have a king or an emperor who reigns over us. We all think we reign, you know. But in the ancient world, they would have understood what it means to have something reign. And sin reigns, it says, if, if you are in Adam then sin reigns, like I just said a moment ago, when you vow you're not going to sin anymore, but then it compels you and you do it again. That's sin reigning. I think we all probably know what that feels like. But then it says, instead of letting sin reign in your life, look at the alternative. Let grace reign. This is is a little surprise in the text. Because we might read this and we might expect it to say, you know, don't let sin reign reign. Instead, let obedience to the law reign. Just go get it right. Come on, everybody. Go out there. Stop sinning and go obey God's law. Let obedience reign. Or it might say, alternatively, let your your truth, your inner voice, your heart reign. Don't let sin reign. But we know the folly of both of those solutions, don't we? So it says, let grace reign. Grace is forgiveness. Grace says that every time I mess up, I get forgiven for it. Grace doesn't seem like something that would reign. Like power reigns. But forgiveness? Isn't that amazing? Let forgiveness reign in your life. What would that look like? Wow. I can hardly even imagine grace reigning. Like like dictating my life that God forgives me. You know what I, I think... I know a lot of Christians, obviously, in my role. And a lot of the Christians that I know 
when we, when we don't want sin to reign anymore, we think that a, a solution would be to let feeling guilty about our sin reign. I see this a lot. People feel bad about their sin all the time. And they think that that's better somehow than letting the sin reign. This happens to me a lot when I see people around town. And if they haven't been to church in a while, (laughs) just the sight of me. (laughs) Yeah, try being a pastor sometime and having friendships, you know? Like you walk in the room and people feel guilty when they see you. It's hard, isn't it, David and Heather, Gina? They're like, oh, hey, Pastor Nathan. And there's all this guilt, you know. It happened to me this very week. I I saw this woman that I know. She goes to our church. She was with a friend. And she said to her friend, oh, this is Pastor Nathan. He's the pastor of our church. And the friend said, oh, yeah, Nathan, I've heard of you, and I've heard of Stanwich, and it sounds really wonderful. You know, my... My kids had sports on Sundays, and my husband worked a lot, and we started traveling, and we got really busy, and we kind of wandered. We want to go back to church. We'll be back soon. Maybe we'll try Stanwich. <laughs> Guilt was raining. And I was, I was a little bold with her. I had met her one minute ago. But when I saw this, this waterfall of guilt just showering over her, I felt so sorry for her, and I looked right at her. And I, and I took my hands like this, and I kind of went like this over her shoulders. And I said, let's get that guilt out of here. Let's get that guilt off your life. And I kind of had her attention, and I looked her right in the eyes with all the sincerity I could muster. And I said, all is forgiven. All is forgiven. Let grace reign. Not your inner voice, not your attempts to be perfectly obedient, not even feeling guilty about your sin, but grace. Grace reigns. That's so cool. Grace. Here's the amazing thing. We are all crooked timbers. We are all messed up inside. And if you don't think so, guess what the Bible says? It says, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. We're all, we all look like this on the inside, and God knows, God sees it. And yet if grace reigns, he looks at all of our sin, he doesn't condemn us like we think he's going to. He forgives us. We are fully known and fully loved. This woman that I met the other day, I think the reason she hadn't been in church in a while is because maybe she had never actually heard that. Maybe she'd never heard the gospel at her old church. Maybe that's why she stayed away. But we know that grace reigns. Earlier, Pastor David asked you to raise your hand if you're in one of these life groups. We used to call them Bible studies. Maybe you were confused and you thought life groups was a new thing. If you belong to a Bible study or a life group, whatever you call it, in your groups this week... You're going, to have, you're going to study, actually, Romans 5, what we learned tonight. You're going to discuss it with your group. And um, I have two questions for you for your life groups. I want you to consider this with your group, and you'll, your leaders will have this printed out for you. The first one, it says, describe a time when you felt an inherent desire to disobey a rule, like the sign that says, keep off the grass. 
Why do you think that's an almost universal human experience? In other words, just talk with your group about sin, about the universality of sin, the way that sin infects all of humanity in, in all aspects of our lives. Secondly, consider what you are allowing to reign in your life. Sin or grace. And then there's a third thing that I didn't put up on the screen, but your leader will lead you through it. It's basically a prayer of how to, how to confess to God areas that you're trying to fix your own crooked timber, and you'll just pray that together. I look forward to hearing from you and your life groups or you know, share it with each other, share it with one of the pastors, share it with your life group leaders. But let grace reign in your life. Amen. 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 Amen.